There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to part two, everyone. We're here at the Moon Underwater. Everyone's dreams come true in pub form. I am the landlord. Robin Allender, the lovely Robin, is my bar swain, my beloved regular. And today we're delighted to be joined by beer writer, beer copywriter, and beer journalist, beer expert, beer taster, Pete Brown, and we're creating Pete Brown's Dream Pub, in which so far we have Tim Taylor's landlord, Sam Olsop's IPA on draft. Samuel, sorry. Uh, Tom Oliver's Perry, bottle conditioned, Cloudy Bay Sauvignon Blanc in bottles. But we're in the middle of the pub quiz, and Robin has given us three London landmark questions. So, Robin, let us stick our pins in the map and uh, find (laughs) out what the answers were. Thanks, John. So question one was, we all know that Big Ben is the name of the bell, but what is the name of the tower in which Big Ben doth reside? Pete, what are you saying for this one? Do you know? This is the one I'm least certain about. Is I think it's a saint something. I'm going to go, it's not this, but I'm going to go with St. David's Tower or St. George's Tower or something like that. Okay, okay. John, what are you saying? Is it the Elizabeth Tower? Absolutely bang right, yeah. It was it was formerly just known as the Clock Tower, but it was renamed the Elizabeth Tower in 2012 to mark the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. So there we go. Very well done. If, if I you got was that the Queen, I would think, I would think. So fair enough, guys. You've named you've na- renamed it after me, but gi- for goodness' sake, give me the bell. Give me the bell. If you're going to give Come me something, in. give me the bell. Big Bertha. Big, <laughs> Big Bertha's a good shout. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Question two. This is a good one. How is the building at 30 St. Mary Axe better known? So, Pete, do you, do you know this one? I might not have the right... Is it the, is it the gherkin? Pete's saying the gherkin. John, what have you got down? I, I don't know. I wrote Buckingham Palace. Oh, it is the gherkin. It is the gherkin. This So, well done, Pete. This is a kind of interesting... So, it's formerly known as the Swiss Ray Building, but now is known as its address, which is 30 St. Mary Axe. And that obviously it's known informally as the Gherkin, the great big skyscraper. But interesting, I thought that was such an interesting street name, the St. Mary Axe, that's the name of the street. And it's thought to derive from the combination of a church dedicated to the Virgin Mary and a neighbouring tavern, which prominently displayed a sign of the image of an axe. So it all comes back to pubs. And I looked at Google oh, Maps. lovely. I looked at Google Maps and I think it's a slug and lettuce now, so that would be quite... A- Oh, maybe God. give it oh, a God. different name. Um, St. Mary Slug and Lettuce. Anyway, question three was monument. What is the monument a monument to? Let's go with John first. It's our old friend, the GF of L, the Great Fire of London. <laughs> Pete, did you get that yeah. one? Yeah, it's supposedly where it started, isn't it? Yes. 
and it was um, designed by Christopher Wren. Didn't know that, but there we go. But uh, very well done I if you got that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yes. So very well done if you got those at home. And here endeth the quiz. Well done, Robin. Another classic Moon Underwater pub quiz. And a, a quiz in tribute to Pete's wonderful book about the George. Is that right, mm. Pete? Yeah, the George in, in Southwark, which is used to be part of a long line of coaching inns, and it's the only one that's left. And the, the infuriating thing about writing about it is its immediate neighbours were two of the most famous pubs in the world. <laughs> Right, the tabard. The tabard was was the the tabard to its right was where uh, Chaucer began Canterbury Tales, and then the White Hart to its left was where Dickens set a lot of uh, Pickwick papers, uh, and also features in uh, Henry the Second by Shakespeare, and the George didn't really feature anywhere, but that's the one that's left. So that's that's the one to write about. Well, it it did feature in a discussion we had under the sort of subheading the thickness of crowds because. We went there just before Christmas, and the bar itself is actually pretty small, but it's got these big, big old rooms either side, which make you feel like you're in a Christmas carol or something, and yet everyone is rammed into the bar, standing there drinking, getting in everyone's way, and there's these all these tables free. You think, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but yeah, It's that's such just... a weird layout, isn't it? It's... Uh... And all these rooms just used to be used for so many different things. They used to have different bars for the for the coachmen and for the for the passengers and things like that. So the the the, the old my favourite bit is the first room, as as you walk down the yard, which was the old. That's that's where the coachmen used to sit, and that's kind of the most unchanged bit of it, I think. So Pete, when you speaking of you know these these hallowed ancient pubs, when you imagine your dream pub, what are you thinking? It's uh, it's definitely old. Um, I, you know, I, I know I know the moon underwater um, intimately. The, the piece of writing that that we're, that that's why we're all here. That, that Orwell wrote, and he talks about the the solid, comfortable ugliness of the nineteenth century. Oh, which is yes. just like oh yes, and it, it's the stuff that was garish when it was built, but to us, you know, for the last hundred years has been traditional and old fashioned and quaint. So I'm definitely in the in the comfortable old boozer that feels time worn. That's got uh, seats seats that have been moulded by countless bums and, and things like that. <laughs> so are you are you talking old as in seventeenth century old, or are you talking nineteen twenties old? Or? If I can have whatever I want, then I'm going to go seventeenth century. Yeah, yeah, as, as as old as we can. Stone flag floors, um, ancient bar, wood bit, bits of wood that uh, you know, ceiling. I forgot what they're called. Beams, beams. roof beams, that are, that are reputed to have come from HMS Victory and things like that. You know. Yeah, lovely stuff. Uh, so we now move on to your your spirits. Where what sort of part role do spirits play in your life? Because for me, as someone who really likes their beer and cider, I have to. I've had to sort of live a spiritless life because otherwise it would just be sort of too many units coming on board. <laughs> it is something that I have to be very wary about because uh, it is very easy to, to just go over uh, any kind of uh, limit, really. Um, but I, but my, my taste in spirits, I, I went to university in St Andrews in Scotland and there was a pub there called The Niblick, 
which was which is not there anymore. But it oh, was it was kind of like I know what that means, Pete. It's an old <laughs> term for an old type of golf club because I love golf and I'd love to have gone to university in St Andrews. And the, the niblick was just across the road from the Royal and Ancient Golf Club, so it was often referred to as the nineteenth hole. Uh, mm. And everybody from my old residence used to go drinking there. And after about six weeks, I went in and Tony Marini, the barman, kind of looked as I came through the door and said, "Hi, Pete. The usual." And it's like. <gasps> I'm a regular, (laughs) I'm a regular, having a pint of the usual. The barman knows my name. And I think three weeks later I was working there and I I worked there throughout my entire career, uh, my my entire degree. And and we had, the Niblick had a hundred different malt whiskies on the back wall uh, because it was Scotland and because we got tourists and things like that. And so a hundred whiskies in alphabetical order. And every now and again, someone would come in and see how far through the alphabet they could get. And no one ever got (laughs) further than D. But, with a hundred whiskies, people come and say, "Where do I start?" And <laughs> there were like two that you, you you'd ask people you'd ask people what they're like, not not pay any attention to what they were saying, then go, "I think you'd like the Balvenie," <laughs> and and they did like the Balvenie because it was approachable. It was a lowland whiskey, none of the harsh peatiness of mm. the Isla whiskies. Um, and people go, "I do like the Balvenie." God, you really know your whiskey, don't you? And it's like, <laughs> no, but I, no, but I know Balvenie, and uh, and I know I know I know a Mark when I see one. You know? um, but it was yeah. So a Balvenie Doublewood is is my first bottle because uh, it's uh, it's the whiskey that I used to serve to tourists, and it's actually a really nice whiskey. Uh, so what's your second choice? But my second choice, I'm afraid, is another single malt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was I was thinking, you know, I, I could I could have chosen a gin or um, or something like that because there's lots of great gins around now. But but this is my pub, and it's what I want, and that's all that matters. Um, so uh, so I've got to go for Lafroig as well because when I uh, the the the, the, the is a crowd pleaser. The Lafroig is my it, it's the it's the music I play when no one else is in the room and we don't have guests. You know, it's like I'm, I'm going to put my loud stuff on now <laughs> with all the feedback, and that that's what the Lafroig is. I mean, they they tried to kind of um, rebrand, not rebrand it, but the marketing around Lafroig is quite interesting. And, and and you with the marketing background, they tried to kind of sell it on its quirkiness and it's the kind of one whiskey that is like you either love it or you hate it. You know, it's so smoky, isn't it? So peaty. I love it myself, but lo- some people really—it's not for them. It is a love-hate thing. Some people either get it's TCP, you know, which to be fair, I, I wouldn't want to drink TCP. But but it's it's interesting because a lot of people have chosen Lafroig for their dream pub. But I'm just assuming because I assume the world of single malts is about obscurity and and you know finding this tiny little cask distillery or whatever but Lafroig is quite a mainstream single malt so are there other single malts with similar flavour profile that you prefer or do you always go for a Lafroig? Yeah I, I always I always kind of explore the obscure but I do tend to come back I, I think some things are mainstream for a reason. I just don't understand how they can make so many bottles of it and yet still be a sort of, I, I guess, a, a smallish operation. I never really quite... Because there must be, at any one time, millions and millions of bottles of Lafroig in the world. So how do they put it out so consistently? When we had Emma Inch on and she chose that bourbon whiskey um, maker's mark, and every single one of those bottles ha- is handmade with the wax seal. You know, it's got the famous wax dripping down. 
So yeah, it's it's, a, it's mad that that is like an international business, but every single bottle has that handmade process going into it. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's also probably a bit scarcer than we think. I mean, we see it in every supermarket here, but you know, if you go to the states and you find it on a menu in a bar, you're probably going to be quite excited by it. Right. So it's perhaps not as ubiquitous as as we think. No. You get you get this as you go around places. I remember doing some focus groups for Everard's in Leicester, and Everard's big brand is is Tiger. And you know these guys are going. Well, I, I only drink the really big mainstream national beers like uh, like Stella and Heineken and Tiger. And it's like you, you go outside Leicester and you you can't find it anywhere. So I think there's a, there's a bit of that. So two superb choices there: Balvenie, Doublewood, and Lafroig. Uh, but we head over now to increase our mental capacity at the pub library. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Oh, thanks, John. And, well, because he's our guest, of course, we've got uh, Pete Brown's book, Hops and Glory, which I've already quoted from today. But at the introduction to the book, the idea came to you that we've already discussed of your epic voyage with a with a barrel of IPA came to you in a pub that John and I know very well, which is the Duke of Argyle in Soho. <laughs> um, John and I have spent quite a few nights there, uh, particularly during the time when they had the very strong uh, what was the beer called? We, we used to call it Magic Beer. Oh, Aingerbrau Pills. Aingerbrau Pills. That was absolute rocket fuel. I remember our friend Sam met us there one early evening and he said he came in and it looked like our faces had melted because we'd had... Do you know when your face just starts drooping after you've had too many pints? Anyway, dreadful. But great pub. Is it still there? Because last time I walked past it, it was being refurbished, I think. Do you know if it's still there, Pete? I think it is. It's a while since I've been to Soho, but I think it is. The weird thing is that since I moved to London, I've not been there, but every time we visited London, we would always go there a beeline yeah but um this is this is pete's uh, little bit about the duke of argyle the argyle is a sam smith's pub chris and i love the fact that sam smith pubs are cultish in both commonly used senses of the word they look like they haven't been decorated since the 1970s but not in a bad way They only stock their own brands of everything, they don't advertise, they don't talk to writers or journalists, even those who love them, they don't even have a website. I don't know if that's still true, (laughs) maybe it's. They're a bit funny about allowing brewery tours. If Willy Wonka had been into beer instead of chocolate, he would have been called Samuel Smith. The Argyle cashes in some of the otherworldliness all Sam Smith pubs share and buys a little normality with the proceeds, which allows it to integrate into normal society and pass itself off as a normal pub to the less observant Soho Topa. And it was busy with people who looked entirely normal, footnote, normal by Soho standards, that is. So that's a great, I really like that description. Um, Yeah, it's great. And are you still a fan of Sam Smith's pubs? Uh, I'm a fan of the pubs, but but not the owner of the business. Mm. Oh, we probably shouldn't get into that in any detail on on air because he's extraordinarily litigious. But uh, I'm I'm back to their pubs until he's not in the business anymore. I think I can safely say that. Ooh, I well, I'm now going to have to look this up in my mind. Mm. 
I will continue my boycott of Sam Smith's pubs, which was initially because I didn't really like the beer, but that's awful, and that doesn't fit in with any of the ethoses uh, displayed in the moon underwater, where all comers are welcome, and a welcome to all comers. Pete, you described Lefroig as the music you play when no one else is in the room. But what is the music you play when you're in the room? It's time for the pub jukebox. The Moon Underwater has a jukebox. It's got the dream pub album of every guest we've had. So what are you going to add to it? I'm going to... I bet it's there already. But uh, I'm going to add uh, The Seldom Seen Kid by Elbow. Mm. That is not there already. Uh. We have had Elbow, though. We've had... Someone has chosen Elbow. But not the seldom seen kid. I think it was quite recently we had uh, Elbow. Let me have a look up um, on my mind, on the spreadsheet of my mind, um, which has the Moon Underwater stats. There we go. Builder Rocket Boys was chosen by Jan Ravens. Ah. Yeah. So tell us about the seldom seen kid and why, why Elbow is your dream pub soundtrack. So it could have been, it could have been any of their albums. But I've I've been lucky enough to interview the band a couple of times because they brought out a couple of beers, one for Builder Rocket Boys, and and Guy Garvey basically is a consummate pub man. He spends most of his time in pubs. The band met in the band met in a pub. They played their first gigs in pubs, and and a lot of the songs are, are kind of based on the sentimentality of pub pub based friendship, really. And there's a lot of songs on there that just. They're the kind of songs that you could sing along to in a pub. Um, they're kind of simple, beer-fueled emotion, uh, which is what I love about them. There's one track which is not on there. It's on. It's on a more recent album called uh, "Sad Captains," which, which, which is probably the best elbow pub song, where it talks about generations before us sat in these seats and banged their empty cups on the table, and the chorus. The, the chorus line is, "If we only pass this way but once, what a perfect waste of time." Oh yes, and that's just that's just the pub for me. You know, that's that's it. Let's it's that easy going. You know, when, when you're at the bar, you might strike up a, a chat with someone, and end up standing there talking for an hour, or you might not. You might just go back to your table and read a book. But it's it, it he he gets he captures the atmosphere and the space of a pub in in lyrical form better than any other uh, musician I know really. Yeah, that's brilliant. There was a thing. Um... I think Gwendolyn Riley, a writer who we featured in the pub library, who writes brilliantly about Manchester, she says at one point that if you, this was back in the day, if if you walked around enough pubs in Manchester, you'd see Mark, either Marky e. Smith or Alex Higgins. I think the same might be true of Guy Garvey now. Do you think? <laughs> that, that's it, and and people know which pubs he drinks in. And I did ask him. I said, "Is it a bit weird? You know, you're in your your local, and people just come in." And he said, "He said, well, he said the first time they come in." They go, oh, God, it's Guy Garvey. I'm in the pub with Guy Garvey. And then he said, but when I'm there the third or the fourth time, they just go, all right, Guy, and, and, and that's it. You just become, just become part of the thing. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of London, Neil and I have started to become friends. Our polite greetings over the fence turned into garden barbecues and drinks down the local pub. But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is so far removed from my own, I'm desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person. Because, believe it or not, even doctors have lives outside of the operating theatre. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities. I want you to be involved in these conversations too. I can't wait to get into this, so make sure you subscribe or follow Doctor Next Door from wherever you usually get your podcasts. Now, Pete, your choices thus far, uh, Tim Taylor's Landlord and Samuel Alsop's IPA on draft, Tom Oliver's Perry, bottle conditioned, and Cloudy Base Sauvignon Blanc in bottles. You've got Balveny, Doublewood and Lefroy as your spirits, but you do have one remaining choice, and this can be absolutely anything you like. So what are you going for? Right, well, I think you've mentioned a couple of times my, my choices might sound like they're surprisingly mainstream, uh, given what I do for a living. So I'm going total obscure here. I'm going for some Quebecois ice cider. Oh, I... Wow. So I've had Quebecois ice wine, and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but ice wine is where they allow the grapes to freeze and thaw repeatedly. And that almost has the same effect as like sort of drying them. It concentrates the flavour somewhat. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever tasted. Is is the same true of ice cider? That, that is totally the inspiration for ice cider. And the lovely thing about apples, you know, there are so many different apple varieties and apple varieties grow wild you know if you, if you plant a seed from an apple you're not going to get an apple like the one that you got the seed from you're going to get a different apple and so when when people have kind of thrown apple cores out of cow windows and things like that and you get trees sprouting up all over the place so in in quebec they, they've got these random apples that no one's identified and they noticed that some apples stayed on the branch through the winter and, and the reason it's both wine and cider in Quebec is that the the average temperature at this time of year is about minus 15 so yeah the water in the fruit freezes and it kind of explodes out uh, and it leaves you this very very concentrated syrupy juice when you then press the apples they then age it for eight months and you get this basically it is like I mean 
when you call it ice cider, a lot of people can't get their heads around what it is, which is why some producers call it apple wine, apple dessert wine. It's not wine, it's cider, but uh, it's it's the same principle. And it'll be about 10 to 12% ABV. Uh, it costs you about 30 quid for a 330ml bottle because th th that's how expensive it is to make. And when I wrote about it in uh, my book, World's Best Cider, I said, it's like drinking Starlight. It, when you drink it cold, it is just the most incredible flavour. So you get that concentrated sweetness that you expect from a dessert wine, but you also get concentrated, concentrated acidity to, to balance that sweetness. Uh, and so it's kind of perfectly balanced, sticky, liqueur-like thing. And I, I have a bottle every now and again, and when I introduce it to people, I remember my friend Dusty came around once, and I, I got one bottle out, and we had it between four of us. And she said, have you got any more? And I said, no, that was it. And she's like, liar, I know you've got more. Where is it? Come on. And of course I did have more, but like, no one's getting more than one, than one bottle because it's, it's, so, it's so rare. People have tried to introduce it to the UK a few times, but it's so, as, as I've just shown, it's quite difficult to explain what it is and why it's worth all that money. Um, so you don't see it in very many places at all. But uh, so what what led you to discover it? Were you were you in Canada? Were you? Yeah, so I I was in Canada doing, doing some beer stuff, and me and my friend Bill Bradshaw we wrote World's Best Cider, which is the first ever kind of world encyclopedia of cider, and we had we had one page allocated for Canada because we knew they made a bit of cider, uh, and I was there on on this beer trip, and. I, I I said I'll I'll just go to Montreal for the day and sorry just to, just to interrupt the words beer trip oh, God, I wish I had more <laughs> wish I had more beer trips in my life oh God brilliant sorry to interrupt <laughs> but I went to Montreal and these, these guys put this little tour of cideries together for me and I was on the after the first day I was on the phone to Bill saying you know I've got a page for Canada we need five pages we're gonna have to cut something else because I've found this is like I've just hit a mother load there's there's nothing like it anywhere else in the world. It's one of the nicest drinks I've ever had. People don't know about it. We're the first to cover it. And just the imagery of these apples sitting on the branch with kind of frozen, you know, icicles underneath the apples from the water that's erupted out of them. And and it's just, you, you can't separate the product from the imagery. It's just, it's like, it, it's what, you know, it's what they drink in Narnia, probably. As a cider connoisseur, a cider expert, does your heart sink when you walk into a pub and see the ciders they have available, which are often flavoured, crappy ciders from the other side of the world, even if they're made over here. And do you think cider will have a similar revolution to sort of craft beer, in that we may go, God, could you remember when we used to drink Blackberry Old Moot, when we're just 12 miles from you know, this orchard or that producer, because it always amazes me that we live in one of the centres of cider production in this country, and yet the actual cider we have access to in pubs, 99% of the time is absolute crap. Yeah, it is a travesty. Uh, it, part of it is also the, the, the curse of my job, because before I wrote Will's Best Cider, I was perfectly happy with a bottle of Magnus over ice. And, and then, then you go and you get your palate educated and you come back to that bottle and you go, oh, it's rubbish now. <laughs> why, why did I have to go and learn all that stuff? But yeah, I mean, I wrote a book called The Apple Orchard, which was weirdly patriotic. And I'm not, I'm not a jingoistic, nationalistic, Brexit-type person at all. But, but the simple truth of the matter is that we've got the best apple-growing terroir in the world. 
and apples that originated in New Zealand, if you plant them here, they'll grow better than they did in New Zealand. And uh, it's not something many of us know. It's not something we're proud of. I go to my local grocers and they've got pink ladies from New Zealand and they've got Granny Smiths from Spain. And it's like, but we've got better apples in Kent, <laughs> just down the road. And so it's incredibly frustrating. And, and a well-made cider is as good as a well-made wine or champagne. And part of it is the producers. I always say if you get two cider makers in a room, you'll have three sets of opinions. They won't talk to each other. They don't hang out. They don't like each other. A lot of them are perfectly happy being small scale and just kind of producing for, you know, the, the, the demand that they get. But the good thing about that is that when you do go and discover it, there is that genuine sense of discovery. I think we've got used to expecting everything good just to be on our doorsteps. And if you want the best side, you've got to go and work for it. You've got to go and find it. And there is still... I'd, I'd rather it was in my local pub, uh, on balance. But there is a satisfaction to get to a farm in Somerset and tasting something straight from the barrel and going, wow, this is brilliant. And having to take a, a, a tub of it home in, in one of those plastic cartons because that's the only way you can get it home. So in the way that so, um, even my local pub, which is, you know, 400 years old, well, there's loads of them and they're all that old, I would walk in and there'll be, you know, two mainstream lagers but there'll probably be a craft lager and a craft pale ale. Do you think we might get to the stage where a pub will have one unusual cider or one box of cider that's from a local cider maker? Or do you think that they're not really the sorts of producers who 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 want that? I think another aspect of it is that there's an image dimension. I talked about this in my book on craft, but... A lot, a lot of us kind of say that we like craft beer for its quality and its flavour and stuff like that. It also happens to be really cool and design-led, and but which no one will admit to. But th- there is craft cider everywhere. It's just that it comes, it's on farms and it comes in plastic tubs, and it's not very cool. And the labels are hand-drawn. It's not got skulls all over it. Exactly, exactly. I think one, I think one thing that might change. The only thing that might change it is. Uh, Legislation. I think a lot of people aren't aware that those ciders you're talking about are less than 50% apple juice and the rest of it is water and additives and caramel and colouring. Imagine finding out that your favourite bottle of wine was only 35% grape juice and the rest of it was, you know, it's just outrageous. And there is a campaign for raising the legal requirement to at least 50% juice. It's not a guarantee that the more juice content you have, the better the cider will be. But every every good cider I've ever tasted has got high juice content. So, what would be the juice content of a cider that you would get from a farm in a in a bottle that you'd take home yourself? One hundred percent juice, right? Uh, maybe with a little bit of added sugar, or maybe watered down a tiny bit, depending on the harvest and the and the strength of the apples at that in in that particular season. But when it's one hundred percent juice, they'll put it on the bottle and tell you that it's one hundred percent juice. When it's not one hundred percent juice, they they are evasive about it and the, the, the lower the lower the juice content the more evasive they are about telling you very good well fingers crossed that day will come soon you're barred we now move on to what you would like to bar from your pub now we we had a brief discussion that was redacted due to potential threat of litigation but if you were in charge of what was and wasn't allowed in your pub what would you ban um i'm gonna be I'm going to be grumpy about this, and I was going to name another individual, but I, w- I won't go down that route. I think um, I know who you mean. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a connection to the moon underwater, put it that way. But no, I think it would be smartphones, you know. I did read about a pub that installed a Faraday cage 
that meant that smartphones wouldn't work inside the pub, which I think is such a brilliant idea. Because I'm I'm as bad as anybody else. I'm not slagging off. I'm not saying the young people on their phones. I'm not because I'm just as bad as anybody else is. But you get your phone out, and then suddenly there's four of you sitting around a table, all staring at your screens. And and it's just I think the the most important point about a pub is being present in it and enjoying the time while while you're there. And I've sometimes we'll go to the pub and leave our phones at home and it's a wrench but you always enjoy it more when you do yeah i think that's definitely a good one for if if there's a group of people i think as john you were saying you were doing a gig and you were backstage load of other comics and everyone was on their phone and another comedian the, the compare walked in and goes it's the banter i love <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> it's just so good but i love that so i definitely think there's a case for if there's a big group of you no phones but i do think if you're on your own a phone can be like having a book with you or you know you might be, you know as long as you're not like aimlessly scrolling you know well i think even if you're aimlessly scrolling i mean i do so, i sort of agree with you about groups but then an awful lot of pub discussion can be oh did you see that photo of x or would you like to see my kids or and it does it does have a place and I think when I'm on my own I I tend not to be a big sort of social media junkie in the day um but if I go to the pub on my own for a pint or two that might be the time when I sort of catch up on twitter or or big text conversations or whatsapp groups that have got out of control and I just can't face during the day so it, it it can be quite a nice, quiet moment on your own. But I think you're right in that often I think one of the most depressing things you can see in a pub is a couple or a date where they are just sat scrolling. And especially if it's like two parents with their kids running around and they're just they're just sat on their phones and you think, what are you? What? Why are you here? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And my favourite regular pub moment is uh, most days I try and take the dog for a walk around the park. And then at this time of year, you've got to be quite mindful of how soon it's getting dark. And usually finishing the walk just as it's starting to fall dark, going to the pub with a book and having two pints on my own reading my book. And sometimes I do that and I finish my second pint and I haven't opened the book yet because I've been looking at Twitter. And it's just like, oh, and I always feel like that's a wasted occasion. Or you're kind of um, arranging the book on the table next to the pint and taking a photo on your phone, <laughs> posting it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, what a pub you have created, Pete, and what a, a delight it has been to chat to you. Before we get on to the naming of the pub, the sacred naming, if you could only visit one pub in the other realm for the rest of your life, even though you've now got your dream pub to take with you, what what pub would it be? What pub ticks most of your boxes? There's one pub uh, I know which, if you go back to Orwell's description in The Moon Underwater, and he names ten different criteria, and he says, but in the real world, no pub has them all. You know, the pub's got the really good beer garden, has got crap beer, and the pub that's got the best beer doesn't have any atmosphere, and that all that kind of stuff. And I believe there's one pub which would tick all ten of Orwell's boxes, uh, and it's it's the Cooper's Tavern in Burton-on-Trent. Ooh. And does it even have China tankards? Well, I'm taking liberties here and saying, when he talks about China tankards, he's talking about the right kind of glassware for the drink. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I accept that. Yeah, when he's talking about liver sandwiches, he's talking about the the best bar snacks. Yeah. So, so with a degree of interpretation and modernisation, uh, it's it's the other, the other thing is because it's in the Midlands, they do tend to say ducky, 
uh, which which he banned. So, <laughs> <laughs> is the is the Cooper's Arms? Is it that kind of old Victoriana kind of pub as well? Does it look like? It's really quite plain. It's like a house. It's it's like a big house. It looks like a house from the outside, apart from the pub sign. But it's got kind of a a, a parlour. It's it's really eccentric because it's got it's got a, a full bar. Which faces onto a onto a brick wall because it's been built down a passageway. So you have to stand at the corner of the bar and look down uh, the bar. You can all get served at this little corner uh, at, the, at the hatch where the staff get in. And then around that, there's some raised seats. And even if you've never been there before, and you don't know anything about Burton's brewing heritage. You just know that you have to be invited to sit in these special seats. It's it's like the in old in medieval churches where they had the the, the seats for the rich families that nobody else was allowed to sit in um and these are the seats that you can only sit in if you're a if you're a burton brewer if you're a brewmaster and so you get these old guys in there sometimes and you just kind of reverentially go into the other room and stuff do you know what i'm i'm looking it up in my mind pete and it is almost exactly what i imagine orwell to be thinking about it is like a sort of 1930s detached sort of three-bed house or whatever but in the bar they've got one two, three, four, four cask they've got. Behind that, they've got six barrels, actually on, so kegs. No, not kegs, six casks. Yeah, just on stillage behind the bar, yeah. Yeah, it looks absolutely superb. Oh, we've got to pay this a visit, it looks amazing. We've got to pay this a viz. Hurry up, please, it's time. Oh, what a lovely, lovely pub. The Cooper's Tavern in Burton-on-Trent. Well, it's a great name. It's a common name. But what's the name of your pub going to be, Pete? I struggle with this. I think on a show like this, you want to you want to come up with a funny name that's going to get a laugh. And I, I've just been watching Meet the Richardsons, and I love the fact that he's got a pub in his back garden called The Dog and Bastard. And <laughs> I've been to The Dog and Bastard. Have you? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's tempting to come up with something like that. But if it was my pub... And I was drinking in it. I wouldn't want it to have a funny name, actually. Uh, so I've actually gone really boring, and it'd be called something like, if, if it's if it's going to be if it's going to represent what I want from the pub, it's going to be called something like the Welcome In or the Welcome Home. Oh, lovely! The Welcome In. Love that. Love that. Well, we're about to bid you farewell, Pete, and it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. But you do have one last choice to make, and that's the music that you want to play you out as you uh, make that trip into the the further the other realm uh so what track from the seldom seen kid would you like to play you out ah i guess it would have to be the one that everyone knows we'll go with um i forgot what it's called <laughs> we can all hum it we all know the one bum, 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 throw bum, those bum. curtains wide what one day like this there we go so it's it's going to have to be the one that everyone knows, which is One Day Like This, which is a massive sing-along that 10 years ago you couldn't turn on a charity telethon or uh, an inspirational financial services ad or anything else without <laughs> hearing it. Even MasterChef, you know. I'm sure that song paid for quite a few pints uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in their local. Uh, we used to play it on Radio X and I'd go for a wee. Uh, so I get to hear it uh, again. So to play out Pete Brown celebrated beer writer from the moon underwater we have one day like this by elbow bye bye so throw those kisses wide.